giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Ornstein, and I'm here today with Harper Reed. Hi, Harper. Hello. So you, I was uh, looking through your bio, you were former CTO at Threadless, CTO yes. at Obama for America, yes, and currently CEO at Modest. Yes, these are all true things. All true statements. Uh, my all research is not statements. totally off base. No, your research is not off base. Although I, I sometimes, it's it's been a very strange kind of, uh, it's been a strange ride for sure. Um, I mean, I... I I never, never like. I guess <clears throat> the goal was not to uh, become an executive. Mm. Like the goal was never that. The goal was always to kind of be just do fun, hacky stuff. Yeah. Um, R- reading the things that you've written and, and done, that seems kind of be, to be your style. Well, it's just yeah. I think it's just you know. I I kind of live my life where it was like I want to do the thing that's fun and cool. Um. And I just kept going down that path. And one of the things I found I really enjoyed was working with really great people and kind of really focusing and, and building that team and solving those problems. And um, this just turned out to be this kind of real, this kind of love that it was, was there. And it really, the, there was a lot of passion there as well. And so it kind of allowed me to um, build up a profession of sorts of kind of helping build teams, helping manage teams, et cetera. And that, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like uh, I remember when I was when I was first became CTO of Threadless. I had this realization that um, you know once you kind of become that bureaucrat or that leader or that kind of that that executive kind of position or that manager position, you end up um, you end up doing all the crappy stuff mm. because what you do is you 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 find something that you really love to do and then you think who would love to do this more than i <laughs> you find that person and you try and convince them to work for you and then you hire them and then you get them to your house or you get them to your work or you get them to wherever and then you're like yes you love to do this more than i do and then you they do it mm-hmm. and then you look at the next thing on your list what is this next thing that i really love doing and then you're like okay Who's the person that loves it more? You just go through this until all that's left is really like Excel spreadsheets and going to meetings. And then, you know, all the fun stuff you've kind of given away to these peers of yours that that are um, just, they, they live it and they breathe it. And then what happens is you have this really great kind of organization of people who all love what they're doing. And then then your role just kind of moves into becoming this glue to enable them, mm-hmm. this kind of, um, this kind of, and a lot of it is like being a bulletproof vest. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff that just comes, especially if you're in a big organization like the campaign. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, being able to predict the future a little bit and seeing out in front of you what hurdles there are and then removing those hurdles before we get to them. Mm. And that's kind of, that's been fun to have to kind of fight for that. Yeah. This is actually uh, something I'm just getting into because I'm a, a programmer by training and up until recently that's what I was doing. And now I'm suddenly managing a couple people. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a very different world. And the thing that, um, the nice side about it, you're right about the thing that you, you often end up with the things that aren't as fun. The nice side about it is it kind of, it amplifies your leverage. Like I, I had this like, you know, head slapping moment that's very obvious, yet I had to sort of live it for myself, which is um, if I can get a, a number of other people pointed in this direction that I want to go, we'll actually get there faster than if I went and did it myself. Yeah, yeah. So did did you? Res- that's hard. Yeah, that's a hard thing to, because sometimes that's not true. Mm. 
sometimes you think it would actually be easier if I did this myself. But then the question is, it's easier for whom? Like, is it easier for you? Is it easier for me? Is it easier for the employer? Is it easier for the company? <clears throat> and then the other thing you have to think about is scalability. Um, we talk about this a lot with servers, but from an organization standpoint, I always think about the bus number. Hmm. You know, how many people does it take before your company's totally fucked? And or how many people to die, right? And I always say the bus number and I explain it to my wife and she's just like, why would you guys talk about such things? And it's just because you've, you know, all of us have pulled up that code where we look at it and we're just like, what, what in God's name is going on here? Mm -hmm. And we never want that. We would never want to put that curse on anyone mm -hmm. um, yet, especially when you're running a business, especially when you're running your own business or something that's super important. Um, you, you have this kind of, you you don't want it. You don't want to call the sec. Mm. You know. You don't want to be going super super fast and turn down the street and realize it's just a dead end and there's nothing. There's nothing to reach, and that's the thing I think. That's one of the. I guess that's one of the main things with building a team is how do you make sure that all the pat all the streets are paved with gold? How do you make sure everything is easier for everyone else? And we all have to put that weight on all of our shoulders. Um, I think what happens is you get a lot of kind of younger managers. And I definitely did this myself, um, where you end up taking all of the burden on yourself mm. and you, you think of yourself as, well, you're just going to make it easier. So you end up doing you like, well, this person would be slower than I, so I'll, I'll just do it. Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening is you have a bunch of employees who see you doing all this stuff and they, they want to do it. That's why they're working with you. Mm. And they're kind of, you know, it's, that's the thing that's kind of, I think a little tricky. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's uh it's an art for sure. Yeah. Um and it's not it's not very easy to kind of figure out, but yeah. Mm. One last thing on this on this management uh, uh idea. I I interviewed someone uh the previous guest on the podcast and he said he he thinks it's a great sign when programmers have um a collection of code that they bring with them from job to job to perform tasks that they see themselves doing a lot. And he hmm. says the, the analog for managers is that they have a collection of people that they bring with them from job to job. Does that ring true to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely have the Harper Cabal that I try and bring from place to place. Hmm. Um, I also, I try and constantly expand that Cabal. And I, I, one thing I noticed is that, you know, I have a lot of I think it's kind of maybe expand is the right word, but I was trying. I was going to use some analogy. I think is fake, but I'm just going to say it like this. I think it's much more like a snowball falling down a mountain, where it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and pieces fly off, you know, <laughs> various parts of the mountain. But you know, you never know what you're going to hit at the bottom. And so, when I started the campaign, I brought a bunch of threadless people. When I when I started modest, I brought a bunch of campaign people and some threadless people. You know, the, the, the ball is getting bigger. We're collecting more and more people. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, in five or 10 years or whenever, you know, modest either explodes or, or does super well, um, I'll have a bunch of more people that I have in, to work with and, and vice versa, right? One of the exciting things about this is the calls that all of us get. Um, when I was mid-career, I was a, I was just an engineer, just kind of like a normal engineer. Mm -hmm. And I... Um, I found myself without a job. So I had basically been laid off um, from this ad agency who decided to change their um, location of their tech department from Chicago to Phoenix. And I was in Chicago mm -hmm. and I didn't want to move to Phoenix. So 
all those people kind of found themselves laid off. <clears throat> and I sat there and I was, I remember thinking about this quite a bit. Um, and I, I was like, what am I going to do? And I just ended up getting an internship. Um, and it, this was like, you know, six years, five years into my career. And it was this thing where at first I had a lot of pride. Like, why would I get an internship? Why wouldn't I just get a job? But then I realized the real reason was is because I wanted that network, that, that ball that's rolling down the hill. I wanted that to be bigger. I wanted to kind of like, uh, uh, I wanted to, you know, add more kind of just diversity to my network. I wanted to work with a different group. I wanted to do some different things. And um, that was very successful and that really helped. And so every time I think about kind of what's next, mm -hmm. even after the campaign where I was the CTO of the campaign, there was a lot of offers to like join a team. And every one of them you'd have to consider a little bit, you know, would this team, would this lead me to where I want to go? Mm. Um, and so it's uh, one of the challenges, I think, and this is something I would like everyone who's listening to kind of think about is, um, how do you, how do you do that? How do you kind of, how do you take, it's almost sometimes a, uh, a step back where you, where you, if I got another job and I wasn't an executive, some people would say, well, you know, you, you took a step down, but what if it's a great team? I think it's, that's a really myopic view. And I think one of the most important things is to think, who am I working with? How are we going to work together? And what are we working on? And if it's something, you know, you're happy with, I think many people would be um, excited about just being a, you know, an entry-level engineer with a bunch of entry-level engineers who are all experts, mm. right? I mean, we, it's, it's this, that's the thing I love about tech is you never know what's going to, you know, who's going to walk in the room. Um, and so this is, this is something I constantly look at is, is less about what the title is, less about what the seniority is, and more about what problems are we solving, who am I solving that with? Mm -hmm. Is it people I've wanted to solve problems with for a long time? Is it my friends? Is it my peers? Mm. Um, and I think that's the most exciting thing. And sometimes that doesn't manifest itself in the same way as I am the CEO or, you know, this is a, this is whatever. Mm. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking of an article I read um, by a hospice nurse who about the sort of uh, regrets and thoughts of people that are uh, about to die. And one of the commonalities was everyone cared most about and valued most family and personal connections. And n almost nobody was talking or caring about their, their business successes and how much money they made and things like that. That, yeah. sort of, that, that jives real well with, with where you're going, I think. I think that's exactly true. Um, there's actually a really great website that, that kind of covers this. Um, mm -hmm. Let me see if I can just pull it up real quick. Mm -hmm. um, it's called If I Knew Then. Mm. It's it's hbs1963.com. Mm. And it's advice on careers, finance, and life from Harvard Business School's class of 1963. Mm. So 50, 50th anniversary uh, reunion happened. Right. And um, they just went through and they just kind of wrote a bunch of stuff and it's um it's pretty cool like it's it's neat because you 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 read it and you get an understanding um and it's you you get this idea of kind of where and how people are are thinking and what they're thinking about and it's mm -hmm. it's just great it's really great can, so can, can something like this work though like i, I feel like this and things like it get written again and again and like is it is it possible to really alter what you're doing and where you care about after reading one of these or is it kind of like short term you know just a quick check on what you've been doing um what do you mean can you say that can you ask that slightly different so i'm thinking of uh seneca wrote this thing called on the shortness of life 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, which I think is sort of has contained some of the similar ideas, which is, you know, live in the moment and connections are important and love your family and all that. And it, it's, is it just that that advice is timeless and so we keep writing it? Or is it that it's, it's not really well, working to change people's thoughts and priorities? I, I mean, I think it's, it's very, I think it's very easy for us to say, yeah, 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 pay attention to your family, blah, 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 your friends. But, um, Oftentimes, I think the trick is it has to it, the, the the advice is actually much more complex. And so, if you read the 1963, the HBS 1963 thing, mm-hmm. um, a lot of what it is is not like it's not. These are all people who are relatively very accomplished. And so, mm-hmm. there's there's conversations about wealth, there's conversations about trust funds, but there's also conversations about um, what happens when you when you fail. And so I think the trade of just saying, yeah, we should all be talking, you know, we should all be thinking about our friends and our families and all that crap. Um, that's important, yes. But what's what, what's important is the, the understanding and realization that um, we all have to go through a lot to have that work well. Hmm. And so, you know, many of us are, you know, work because we want to put our families in a better place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, if it's just like you, you can't, there's a duality there that you have to acknowledge and you you know and whether you acknowledge it by working really hard so that your children can go to a fancy school or whether you acknowledge it by um sacrificing yourself so that you know something that you your friends or you know there's lots of things that people do but it's it's a little bit it's tricky and i mean i think that's why people keep writing it is because it's tricky and more importantly everything changes and so you know, what our parents went through, um, is much different than what we're going through. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, I just spent all more, I just spent this morning, you know, texting with a friend over Snapchat. This is not a normal thing to do, but, um, in, in a little bit, that's just going to be a blip much like, you know, telephones that were hooked to walls were blips and all these various things. And I, you know, I, and I think it's all, you, ha- it's all additive. And so, the advice of just like, you know, when people are on their deathbed, the thing they regret is not hanging out with their loved ones more. Mm-hmm. It's probably true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fine to kind of think about, but also, but how do you get that done? I don't know. I don't think any of us know the actual answers to that stuff right now. Mm. Mm. So you talked a little bit about uh, something that has worked well for you, which is sort of building the Harper Cabal that you yeah. t- t- people you take with you place to place. Do you have yep. uh, a good example of something that hasn't worked well, some uh, like a sort of strategy that you were shooting for that in practice was not so great? Well, um, one thing I think is is kind of important to remember, and this is going to sound stupid, but um, I have a I have a lot of friends that I that I think are are great, and I have a lot of friends that I've worked with for a very long time, and then I have a lot of people who I've always wanted to work with. And then there's, there's like the people who I've never worked with, but friends of friends have worked with. And all of these people are, you know, for the most part, everything works out. But every once in a while, there's one or two who are either like kind of more of a diva or maybe they're just kind of very negative or maybe they're going through a rough spot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, I find myself thinking about the, acts that they will be doing, meaning the job they'll be doing, the work they'll be doing more so than I think about the interacting with them. Mm. And even though, you know, I have many friends who I totally would call assholes at work, (laughs) 
And one of the things that was that was hard, and this hasn't happened for many years, but it's when you find yourself accidentally working with one of these people. And so what ended up happening is just really focusing on, I guess, uh, really focusing on how do I maximize for absolutely no assholes? Hmm. How do you, uh, you know, try and find the efficient path to no assholes? Mm-hmm. And there isn't like a really sure fast rule. And I'm certainly, I'm certainly an asshole sometimes myself. Um, but you know, there are, there are people who, who just for what, whatever reason in certain situations, they, it just not working out. So that's the one thing that don't maximize for talent, maximize for no assholeness. Mm. And then, you know, make talent second because then your teams will be much happier. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been, a, this has been hard, right? Because you have some really great people out there that you, that you find under stress or, you know, maybe they, various things happen or, you know, there's all sorts of stuff and it just doesn't work out. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I mean, we, this has been something I've advised a lot of startups and, you know, they, they, they have this question, you know, I, I met this, this guy, um, we, we don't really like him, but we really like his work. Mm. Or I interviewed this young woman and she just had a bad attitude, but I felt like she, she could really crank through the code, you know, and it's like, well, I would rather have someone that you really, really like that you have to teach a little bit because I think you'll get further and you'll want to hang out with them and you'll want to be at work with them because we're at work for so, so long. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's your second family. Yeah, it is for sure. Mm. So I want to talk about the, the campaign a little bit. Mm-hmm. had to be kind of an incredible experience and seemed like it sort of vaulted you in terms of uh, renown and and whatnot. It definitely, it definitely did some. Um, it was a, it's what a weird, that was a weird thing. I mean, it was, um, it was pretty awesome. I mean, it was, it was, so what was strange about it was I did not expect it to happen. Mm. I didn't expect to really have the job at the campaign. Um, that was the first thing I didn't expect to, uh, I didn't expect to, um, I didn't expect the campaign to go how it went in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it went to, I mean, it was awesome working with beautiful, amazing people and just doing all sorts of crazy shit. Um, I didn't expect the campaign to, um, end the way it did, which was with the Republicans, um, kind of celebrating their technology that then didn't really work. And then talking about how it, the technology worked or didn't work, um, with, that was Orca, and then having all of a sudden this kind of spotlight shine on me, mm-hmm. which for those of you that know me, I love having spotlights on myself, but usually I would rather choose the light. And so mm-hmm. suddenly it was just like, oh, shit, look at all these people want to talk to me. And it was, it was like a, I had to kind of almost step back and, and, and um, really uh, take some time off and really kind of meditate on what I wanted to do with this. And I Mm. really reached out to some friends and um, a good friend of mine was like, well, this is what you do. And he just gave me a set of instructions. And then I used the the kind of um, media training that the campaign had given me. And then it became a lot more easy. So I knew the story that I was going to tell, you know, and it fit into the narrative of the campaign, which is good. Um, And then from there, if someone, you know, if I was in some country and someone was like, I'm going to put you on live TV, there wasn't, it wasn't this like, oh my God, what am, what am I going to do type thing? It was definitely, it was a little bit more positive. So, um, so that was good. So it, it turned out pretty well, but I, I just didn't, I was just surprised. I did not think, 
I just every it was an everyday um every every day at a time kind of job like where mm. every day you woke up and you were like you didn't think what was going to happen tomorrow really you just had to get through today mm-hmm. so the team and myself and most of the campaign we didn't really think about what was going to happen after election day mm. i still look back and i'm like i probably could have done this a little bit better mm. i would have thought about it but mm-hmm. it was i mean it's kind of fun mm-hmm. well you mentioned that the the campaign gave you media training what was the, the heart of that i mean the heart of media training is to um and this is this is like a, something that I just watched and learned is really get an understanding of what off the record means, um, what on the record means, and what on background is, hmm. um, as well as set your parameters of engagement with a reporter up front. Hmm. Um, and then the main one, really, and this is a simple one: um, don't talk to a reporter <laughs> unless you want to want everything that you're saying to be public. Hmm. Um, and I think about this all the time where. You know, if if you're if you're a tech reporter and I was telling you about some crazy new tech, um, it's kind of the tech reporter's responsibility to to report that. It's this interesting kind of place where it's 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 just I, I think it's we can't just fault reporters for you know everyone gets all mad when they they screw up. Um, the campaign was very careful. So some of the things they did is every interview that I think everyone did was recorded by the campaign. Hmm. And so there was never a question of um, this quote is wrong or this quote quote is right. Hmm. You know, the quotations were always very well um, documented on both sides, usually the reporter side and the campaign side. Mm-hmm. Um, you would you would enter a, a interview and you'd have a good idea of what the tone was going to be beforehand, meaning you'd talked about it. So you wouldn't just jump into an interview blind, um, especially one that is con- is a little bit uh, contentious. Mm-hmm. Um so, for instance, you'd have a conversation. They'd say, okay, here's a tech reporter, but you can't talk about technology or data because that's not what we want the narrative to be about. We want the narrative to be about the president. Mm. Um, so how do you have a technology conversation about the president and making sure the narrative is about the president? It's actually not that hard, but when you have that discussion before, that's really good rather than <laughs> trying to catch up during. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned um, that you reminded me of uh, you recently published uh, an article or an op-ed, I guess, in the New York Times That's uh, true. about healthcare.gov, uh, mm-hmm. in which you were somewhat critical of the president. Well, uh, the the thing the thing is is it's not so much critical of the president; it's critical of the beast that the government and even in the op-ed, it was very I tried to make it very clear that this is not just this administration. This sure. Is, yeah. Yeah. And it's not just honestly this government. Um, there's not a country in the world that I think is not have doesn't have some of this problem, mm-hmm. which is um, is <clears throat> or the contractors who are able to handle procurement have maximized. You know, you hire talented people, right? And so if you look at these businesses, the most talented people in their businesses are the lawyers, hmm. not the tech folk. Mm-hmm. And I would rather have this awesome kind of you know, a woman's CTO kicking ass, building all these great apps for the government and have that be the person we're celebrating, not the fancy lawyer who is, uh, you know, able to handle the, the 1,200 pages of procurement law that's required mm-hmm. to, like, get a contract with the government. And so what ends up happening is, let's say you and I, we're tech folks, we're going to go build some software. Um, we have a really good idea and we think we can change, you know, the, the driver's license system for some state for the better. Mm-hmm. We can do it cheaper. We can do it better. We can do it everything. Um, 
there's almost no way for us to do that. It doesn't matter. We'd have to go and, you know, you'd either have to go through and you'd have to get some certification or you have to do all this stuff, jump through all these hoops, um, or we can just go get a job with a giant company. Mm. And so then we get this job with a giant company and then our dreams are crushed because it's a giant company. And so there's just no opportunity for um, young, progressive, um, progressive meaning forward thinking, not politically progressive, but just young and forward thinking people, specifically in technology, to interact with the government in a positive way. And a lot of that has to do with procurement. And mm-hmm. it has to do with nothing other than procurement. And the procurement rules themselves preclude us from working with one another, why, like how we would work if we were building a product. If if you and I were contracting for a friend and we were just, and you were doing um, the Rails programming and I was doing the, the server stuff, mm-hmm. we'd have a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. But some of the stuff that's come out of healthcare.gov, it turns out that the engineers who are building the software and the engineers who are building the systems weren't able to talk to each other because of the contracts. Mm. And it's things like that that are causing the problems. It's the, it's the, it's, and this did, you know, this is not a new problem. It wasn't like, you know, Obama came into off, to office and then suddenly oh, sure. all this stuff happened. This is, this has been there for a very, very long time. And so, however, um, the president has a chance to, to try and fix it. Mm-hmm. And healthcare.gov, it works. My brother got health insurance from it. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Um, it's very complicated, and I think it's it's a good catalyst to try and fix procurement, and I hope that does work. Yeah. Um, one of the things to note about healthcare.gov is, and this is something I don't, I find it fascinating. No one really talked about this. Um, it is it is probably one of the bigger. Uh, web applications that have ever shipped just full stop. Hmm. Because if you're thinking about the integration points, um, I'm not sure how many insurance companies or how many kind of healthcare provider types you'd have to integrate with to get that done. Um, And then if you think about the eligible people to use the site, like 200 million or 250 million people just from the get-go that could log into it and should get a response. there's not very many companies out there, <clears throat> excuse me, that could launch a product from zero that integrates with every insurance company mm. and then has 200 million users. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, I think it's funny that you just, we just have never talked about how unprecedented this is. And it's also maybe the first real consumer app from the government. Hmm. Um, we have a lot of like the driver's license stuff and taxes and all that stuff. But if you look at those, those aren't, those aren't consumer apps, right? Mm. You know, they're terribly designed. Usability wasn't thought of. Um, and then you have healthcare.gov where it's, it's nice. It looks pretty. It's supposed to work. It's targeting everyone instead of just these professionals, like a tax professional or whatever. Um, and so I think it's like, you know, when you add that up, there's, you know, and then, and then I always forget about this, but then, and the congressional mandated or the Congress mandated a deadline for launch. <laughs> right. So, you know, software and deadlines go so well right. just together. And it's it's like, so you have the biggest, maybe this unprecedented large web application that no one in the government has ever built before, the size. You have uh, the fact that it's one of the first cons- real consumer web applications the government has ever built. And then you have a deadline made by very old white people. Um, and when I look at it that way, I'm like, they got pretty far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so it was a couple months 
months took a couple months to work out the bugs like that would be that would have been better than i could have done yeah sure and so so worth starting the conversation about fixing procurement and doing things that could make this go better next time but you know cut them a little bit of slack i think you have to cut them a lot of slack because they i mean those guys killed themselves doing it now you know i think there were some things that could have gone better but at the same time like there's always things that can go better sure right yeah. So, so one thing that you reminded me of, we had a, another previous guest on the podcast, which is Catherine Bracy from Code for America. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're sort of taking this, the, the approach of like, yes, things are a little bit messed up in terms of government and tech. So we're sort of parachuting these small teams in there that have the, the authority and the blessing to circumvent the existing systems and, and offer uh, good tech solutions, but faster without a lot of the red tape. Yeah. And that's, that's great to see happening. Yeah, it is. It is. And the, the you know, the thing, the thing that's tricky is just getting it to work. Like it's one thing to actually just, just say it and get it to work. Code for America does a pretty good job, you know. And, and uh, I like that. That sorry, I like that Jen is really involved with the White House. I think there's some really cool stuff that's happening. Um, Bracy's great. Um, all that stuff is is awesome. Um, what I worry though is that's one side of the problem because the procurement stuff is still there. Yeah. Like like going around it definitely solves a huge part of it um but i just i just don't know how to like i don't i don't know how to solve the other side right sure yeah <laughs> hmm. so were you were you doing crazy hours of the campaign yes mm-hmm. yes lots and lots and lots and lots of hours are, are you naturally predisposed to that sort of situation hmm i don't know i think i'm naturally predisposed yes i would say actually yes i am mm-hmm um, because it's, 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 uh, I don't know why, but I, my wife and I always talk about this, how we're, we're like, we're crazy people. Hmm. Um, I don't really know why or how it works, but for whatever reason, um, it's just been a, my wife is a tax accountant. And so, you know, every year she just has this insanity. And for me, I'm, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, I just, every, every year it just, it's just insane. I just don't under. I don't. Sometimes I'm like, "What are we doing? Why are we doing this?" Hmm. But yeah, hmm. it's fun. I mean, I, I think it's. I think what it is is I find enjoyment in it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of. Maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> are you an exerciser? No, I'm not. But I've been thinking about getting into it because I apparently, if you are an exerciser, you can. You you can. You're. The, the craziness you can do better with the craziness mm-hmm. yeah there are, i hear there are some benefits to exercise yeah totally. yeah i would i would like to maybe do that someday well i, I would like to exercise someday but it's it's kind of it's kind of tricky <laughs> you could uh it seems like so you you have a quantified harper page yeah you track a lot of stats about yourself it seems like maybe that's maybe that's your first thing is get the i noticed you have a fitbit step counter on your on your stats now so Maybe that's sort of like the first step for you is you need to be tracking it. Yeah, I think that would be good. I think it's, um, <laughs> I think the, the, my worry is, well, this is, I always say this and I, I'm like, how the fuck do I get started working out? I have, I have lit, I don't even, I only wear jeans. <laughs> like, I'd have to go, I'd be going to the gym with jeans for the first couple of days. Um, and so, we, you know, it's, it's kind of tricky and I don't really know the, I don't know the answer, but apparently I think I can get started. I'm I'm actually a little bit attracted to I'm a little bit attracted to the um to like 
the CrossFit world. Mm-hmm. It seems pretty interesting, and it seems like they're doing kind of interesting things. And um, I, I remember Threadless used to have an office right near this CrossFit place, and there'd be this huge group of people, and every single person was a different shape, mm-hmm. and they were all killing it, mm-hmm. and they were all like, and I was like, this is for me, man. Mm-hmm. I, like, cause some people were doing like, you know, two push-ups and then running around the building and then lifting up weights and throwing them, mm-hmm. um, and then throwing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and other people were doing 50 of those, you know, and it was like, it right. seemed to scale well to what your, what you're able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're into craziness, then that's, that's sort of the right place for you. <laughs> the workouts are a little nuts. Yeah, they are. I've never done it though. I, are you into that stuff? Uh, I've done, yeah, I've probably gone a dozen times or so. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's everyone's doing the most they can basically up until they throw mm-hmm. up. Right, so, right. So it's it's very it's very self scaled. So they're like, here's the crazy, you know, prescribed workout, but then you know, you just get as close as you can. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's nice that way. So um, can we talk about modest at all? Uh, yeah. What's up? Well, I just I'm. What is it? So I, I realized I was like, wait a minute, I know what's up. Um, <laughs> so modest is. Um, my buddy Dylan and I, who I've worked with for many, many years, started Modest um, about a year and a year ago, and um, we started with this kind of very specific um, want to figure out how to change commerce. Hmm. And so we had uh, we had a lot of ideas about how, like, what things could change with e-commerce, and we had a lot of kind of things we thought would work really well and things we wanted to focus on, um, but we did not know. Um, we did not have a very aggressive idea on what that meant. And so, you know, we had this huge list. And so what we did is we just kind of went through and we started talking to friends, we started talking to uh, different businesses. And eventually we settled on um, some technology that I think is really cool. Um, and right now we're, we're, we're keeping kind of quiet about it um, just because it's it's early and we, we – I. I really don't believe in celebrating things until you have some products. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's, I think it's, 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 a, we have a great team. Um, we have a really good, um, I think a really good product, but I want to, I want to talk about it when I have some customers and I can say, yes, look how awesome this is. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, look how awesome I am. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I, I love talking how awesome I am. Mm. Um, but, but the one thing that makes it difficult is we are trying, you know, pretty hard to hire some awesome people. And, um, and you know, if I had an awesome product, that would make that easier. Yeah. Um, but, but we're, you know, we're doing a lot. And it's actually, it's actually kind of fun to build something from scratch. It's way harder than building it, you know, from, from 10% or 0%. Um, I used to describe this that to friends that, you know, Dylan and I and the team – we've done a lot together and we've done a lot of things where we're building from like 2% to a hundred percent, but we've never done from 0% to a hundred percent. And it t- turns out that from 0% to 2% is a little harder than you think it is. So right. it's been fun. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a very typical startup experience. You know, we have really kind of hilariously crappy offices and fancy computers 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and just kind of how do you mix those things together and just and just do it and um, hopefully it's someday we'll have revenue and hopefully someday we'll have all sorts of awesome customers and uh, I'll look back at these offices and kind of giggle. Um, and in the meantime, we're just trying to hustle and you know get it done, um, which is also really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So you you I think you've had some really interesting uh, life experiences and successes and and great stuff that has happened to you. So it, do you have a, a playbook, like a one-page do this, don't do that for people that are maybe hoping to emulate some of the things you've gotten to do? I do, but almost 100% of them have nothing to do with technology, which I think is is fine. And when I when I speak, I do it, I do some speaking. When I speak, um, <clears throat> when I speak, I talk a lot about things that have nothing to do with, with um, technology. And, and so I'll, I'll, I think that, well, just... I think networking is probably one of the most important things anyone can do. Mm. Um, I feel like that kind of terrible douchebaggy recruiter or, or, you know, like, uh, what was the counselors in college? Mm -hmm. Don't forget to go networking. Mm -hmm. Um, but for myself, um, Networking has been the reason why I have received every job I've ever had or done any of the things I've done. I mean, full stop. Like there's, I've done a lot of weird things. Mm. Um, and it is all because of networking in one way or the other. Mm. And, um, you don't have to be, you don't have to be good at it. Um, you don't have to be, um, you don't have to be like very outgoing or you don't have to be, um, some crazy sales type walk into a room and like, you know, like, uh, wear a suit or anything like that. All you have to do is just find like-minded people and, you know, be nice to them. Remember their names. Um, there's Mm -hmm. a great movie called party monster, um, with Macaulay Culkin. And it's about Michael Alec, this club kid from New York who ended up killing his roommate slash drug dealer. Um, but, in the movie, it has a couple scenes where um, this character, Michael Alec, and, and this other character, James St. James, which are real people, where they, um, where James St. James is teaching Michael Alec, Macaulay Culkin's character, how to, um, how to be in a club and how to go into the club and get the most out of it. Hmm. And so he talks about, you know, what side, of, what side of pictures to stand on so that your name is listed first in the newspaper. He talks about how to go in and say hi to everyone and then go say bye to everyone and then leave, remembering people's names, all these various things. And um, you can apply that to almost anything. Um, it would, it's, it's really surprising how, how, um, how much you can get by remembering people's names. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, that's definitely something that, that I, would, I, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's... So really, for me, it's it's all about how do you how do you do networking well? How do you make sure that when you're talking to someone that they feel like you're listening to them, um, and kind of all that fun stuff. And so, I'm trying to think of some good examples. I mean, a friend of mine emailed me and said, "Hey Harper, um, I was talking to another friend, and he said that um, he was looking for a CTO and some engineers, and that's how I got the job for the Obama campaign." Hmm. Um, I met a friend in a club and we just got to know each other in like the early 2000s. And then one thing led to another. And when I needed a consulting firm, I called him up and that's how I got the job to be the threat of the CTO. Mm. Um, I, various things have happened and it's, it's literally people powered. And so it has nothing to do with just being super, 
great at technology. I think I'm good at technology, but I'm definitely not the best programmer. I'm definitely not the most talented tech person. But I, I do think that if I had a magic skill, it would be networking and collecting people and kind of figuring out how to how to who needs to talk to who. Hmm. Do you do you think it's important to be open to all the people you meet? Like, do you try to make yourself available to anyone that wants your time or attention or anything like that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> often to a to a detriment. Um, I, I I think it is. Um, <clears throat> it's very important for everyone to be open. It's very important for everyone to kind of have a um, have a really good handle on what is what is happening um let me say that differently to have a really good handle on um well let me i'm trying to think the best way to say it i never really think i have given too much of myself away Hmm. but i also i also feel like it's all a transaction right like if i'm meeting with someone i'm meeting with them usually very selfishly Mm -hmm. For, Um, for your own purposes well it's because it's like this like right like like um this podcast Mm-hmm. I, who who are the who is the audience of the podcast? Uh, Ruby and Rails developers, technical okay. people. So I'm looking for a boatload of developers, mm-hmm. and so I, I I do this podcast and I, I talk about that. I don't say I'm trying to hire a boatload of developers. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the goal. But you know, I, I I I talk. I try and be honest. I try and show what kind of character I have. All this stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe I meet someone at a conference and they say, "Oh, I heard you on, you know, the Giant Robot podcast," mm-hmm. and I'm just like awesome that was great and then we start talking one thing leads to another and so it's like all of these things i look at as they're they're you have to look at them in the the aggregate how do you build everything together yeah you know and if you go to a bar and it's some really terrible networking event um if you just go around and you meet a bunch of people or you try and find people who are my goal is to find people who i like who i can hang out with i don't want to just hang out with all the people i don't agree with or anything like that Mm -hmm. um you know, but that there there is a it's it's I love going to conferences, especially hardcore tech conferences, because you have all the guys who are very introverted talking to one another. Mm. You know, and it's like that's networking. Like it's it's not about just going out there and being terrible and being a crazy person. That happens to be how I do it, but it's just it it is really about you know how do you interact with like minded people, and and because what ends up happening is. Um, this happens constantly where I'll say to an engineer or I'll, or I'll think this myself, I need someone to help me with X. And I don't want to work with someone I've never hung out with. I've never met. I've never like kind of fallen in love with that kind of, I would really like to work with them. You know, that the, the work love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's what I think is the, is the, is the thing that, that you want. You, you don't want your first interaction with someone to be for the ask. Right. You know, will you work with me? You want your first interaction to be the, uh, like how awesome both of us are or whatever. Mm-hmm. You want a, a little bit of a wooing period. Yeah. So I, I just, I think that's the thing that, you know, if there was a playbook, that would be the first thing is that, um, the second thing is just try and be nice and honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that all, they all add together. And the third thing is to be a very, it's to be very open to new programming languages. Mm. <laughs> I see. I see. And last year you were playing with uh, Golang. Man, Go is so awesome. Yeah, it is just it is great. It's like uh, it's like if Python and C had a child that compiled. Um, it's fun. It's fast. It's fun. It's it's fun to play with. Uh, I like the the lack of exceptions. I like how um, how opinionated it is, where it won't let you do things. It won't let you. You know, it's like it's like this variable is you don't use it. Stop 
you can't compile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, we have, we don't have any production code in, in Go yet, um, mm-hmm. but we probably will. Um, I've been very excited about, I just really, I just feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using lately, honestly, a little bit more Ruby, which mm-hmm. is interesting because I never really, really got into Ruby. Um, but mostly I use Python. But what I find is the more languages I use, um, the better prepared I am for new problems because mm. you never know. I'm not a very religious person when it comes to programming languages. Um, I just don't just don't have the patience for picking one and sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I would rather pick the like for instance, uh, I want to pick the language that works best for that problem. An example of this would be like you know Flask on Python. We've had great success with building APIs with. Mm-hmm. It's just fast as heck. It works very very well. It's very robust. Um, Jekyll is amazing for sites. You know, combine combine Jekyll with a Flask JavaScript API, and you have a very good framework for doing very scalable, um, very rich, um, but relatively static sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, things like that are very exciting. Even PHP, for that matter, like there, you can get a lot done with that. Um, one of the biggest projects, or one of the things that made the most money on the campaign, was written in PHP. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas all of our backend stuff was written in, in Python, and our front end was Ruby. Um, it just happened that this one app was PHP and did about three hundred million dollars in revenue. So it's like you know, it's it's it's. Uh, I've just never been too um, strict on which language is going to be the winner. I just want to make sure that a it's fun and b it's going to solve the problem, hmm. and probably actually in the other order, a it's going to solve the problem and b it's fun. Yeah. Um, or else we'd just all be kind of like using silly languages. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the playbook is uh, meet lots of people and use lots of languages. I think that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. The play sentence. Yeah. Sure. I think it's good. Cool. Sounds good to me. Anything else that uh, we haven't talked about that you you want to chat about? Um. No, I mean I think that's I think that was a good this was a good good set and I think it's a little bit um it's more interesting than I think than than I I, I would have interviewed me so that's good <laughs> cool I'm happy about that good I'm glad to hear it awesome so. Uh, I think that wraps things up. Thank you for very much for coming by and talking. Yeah, no problem. Um, and uh, let me know if you want me to jump on again. Yeah, I'd love to, especially once you guys have uh, maybe more things to talk about with uh, with Mod. Oh, yeah. That'll be exciting. Yeah. So if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 84. Thanks for listening.